And that's another reason why we've been working so hard nationally even to change school start times uh, because they do not accommodate the teenagers' sleep wellness cycle very well. And all of the schools that have changed have shown that the athletic and academic performance in their students is increased immeasurably when they're allowed to go in a little bit later. Hello, HR. What if I told you you could have a career in being a doctor of sleep? Well, buckle up because that's what we got today. We're talking to Sarah Moe. Now, Sarah started her career in sleep medicine in 2006, and she's founder and CEO of Sleep Health Specialists. Now, she provides sleep education. You'd think we'd know how to do that, but apparently we do not, to local businesses and corporations. And she was also an adjunct professor in polysomnography. <laughs> Say that five times fast. Program at Minneapolis College. And in Minnesota, she's kind of a sleepy badass. She's been in the local 35 under 35. She's been a finalist for most likely to succeed in the healthcare division. Women Who Lead, Women in Business, the Team Women's Wavemaker Award. And you can also catch her on her live WCCO news segment, Health Watch, where she discusses various sleep related topic, topics for her community. I don't know about you, but I know I need some help because I've got some sleep issues, and we're going to talk all about it today. So let's get to know Sarah Mo. For human resources professionals who walk the fine line between providing strategic support and grabbing a baseball bat, welcome to HR Hardball, hosted by John Reeves Whitaker. This is your leadership moment, folks. Don't screw it up. How do you get into the field of sleep study? Because this is something, um, I mean, I've been through sleep studies. I've done the, like done the overnight. I think I might've shared with you, I have apnea and all this kind of stuff. But how do you get into that as a career and then tie it to a corporate initiative? Yeah. So I actually grew up wanting to be a nurse, <laughs> okay. uh, but it turns out Sarah does not do well with blood. So after a few <laughs> very embarrassing weeks uh, investigating nursing school, I realized I need to find a different career in medicine where I can help people the way I hoped to as a nurse. And I just happened to stumble across the polysomnography program at Minneapolis College. It was just started. It was in their first cohorts. And I got accepted and took a class and literally sat there the whole first class writing in my notepad furiously. I could not believe this fascinating new field that nobody has ever heard of. I just was instantly in love. So after that, uh, I got boarded in 2008, which you need to have your board registry to practice in sleep medicine. Uh, I worked overnights for a few years diagnosing sleep disorders for patients like yourself. And then I became an adjunct in the sleep program that I had graduated from years before. And it was at that time at the school that I realized we were missing something as far as sleep education in our community. Uh, And so I started my company. So polysomnography, that's the the study, is that right? Correct. Polysomnographic technologies, that's uh, the study of sleep. So that is what you need to be able to accomplish to uh, do sleep studies and and help people like yourself who uh, need to be told they have sleep apnea. Well, you know, when did we start realizing that things like apnea and snoring and, you know, sleep deprivation were dangerous? Do you know how far long ago? Yes. So it's a very fascinating timeline when it comes to sleep medicine. We are very much the baby. When it comes to medical fields, when you think about, you know, cardiology or something, you know that we've been looking at the heart for hundreds of years. 
all of the information that we had when it pertained to our sleep came from psychology for the last century. Psychologists, psychiatrists, the Freuds, you know, they would have their opinions on, on all of the sleep issues coming from dreams and having different meetings. And we never realized that it was a physiological separate system uh, until really in the sixties. In fact, uh, we joke because the, the queen mattress was invented around then. And that's when the marketing started happening, saying, if you love your bed partner, you will sleep with them. Our grandparents didn't sleep together. They all slept in separate uh, beds. And even if it was in the same room, it wasn't necessarily something that was out of modesty. It was really to ensure that everybody got restful sleep, to ensure that they could care for their families. So we really started to get more into sleep medicine, uh, late 60s, early 70s, when we realized as a medical field, there was a lot more going on. And once we had the ability to read brainwaves and see that we are as active neurologically in our sleep as we are during wakefulness, it opened up a whole new world. There, there are so many things there to unpeel. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about, all right, you know, the separate beds and the separate sleeping quarters. Okay, my snoring, um, we've, we've tried several things, but we do um, sleep in different, different beds a lot of the time now for that very reason, just so at least one of us and now both of us can sleep a lot. But they, our grandparents... They knew what was happening. The bed is for sleep. <laughs> and you know, it's it's prior to our grandparents that this happened. Yeah. It's a, an important part of, honestly, the survival of different family units. So when you think about when we were all farmers, which, you know, was kind of what we call the original job. The sun yeah. came up, we went out and farmed. Sun goes down, you go to bed. Right. Families didn't sleep together unless they were very poor. And that was for warmth. Other than that, you know, mom and pop, they didn't sleep together because if, there were sleep disturbances that would lead to actions such as accidents in the farm field because, you know, dad accidentally tipped over the tractor or mom couldn't take care of all the kids and little Timmy fell in the river. These were real issues that led to the kind of the separate sleeping idea that was not changed until the marketing of giant beds. Uh, so that being said, one in four Americans still do sleep separately from their bed partners and their spouses. 25% of us. Is that right? Very loving, wonderful relationships with their bed partners, but sleeping together is uh, problematic uh, and does cause issues either uh, health-wise or relationship-wise that do cause uh, us to have separate sleeping sections. And I am all for that. Yeah, we were having we were having different kind of accidents at night, like mom accidentally punching dad in the in the shoulder <laughs> or the head or kicking me. And it's just it's a miserable way to sleep. It really is. There is no need for it, especially if there are disturbances. Now, if you are a couple who sleeps exactly the same way, you don't have a light sleeper, you don't have disturbances and you hit your head on the pillow and everybody is in absolute heaven for the next eight hours. Great. Good for you. It's an anomaly. <laughs> Well, I and so researching some of this stuff, because when you and I connected, um, I had some personal experience about it, but I wanted to research more about why you're doing what you're doing. And I didn't realize this, that uh, the CDC has actually, I guess we're at a public, they've uh, named this a public health emergency. Sleep deprivation. sleep deprivation is a public health emergency. And again, that tie to actual medicine and our health with sleep, it is, we're just very far behind. Uh, so when we think about our health, a lot of times we discuss diet and exercise. And that's great because those are both very important. But sleep is considered the third pillar of health. Diet, exercise, sleep. These are the three things that keep you alive and healthy. So when we've had this kind of, you know, 
issue with sleep that has slowly been building with the advancement of technology in the last Mm -hmm. few decades, we have become more and more sleep deprived as a group uh, and as a nation. And it's not even just because of technology, it's uh, other health issues and, you know, the rise of obesity, which is a a vicious cycle, being obese and having sleep issues or having sleep issues and becoming obese. Uh, There are so many other factors that just have led to poorer and poorer sleep throughout the years that it finally got to a point where we've realized this is actually more of a baseline than we ever knew before. Whether or not you are sleeping properly, hormonally, neurologically, physiologically impacts the ability for our systems to function properly and is causing literal health issues. So a lot of times when we have what we call comorbidities, if somebody has heart disease that runs in their family, we'll find, oh, wow, you had undiagnosed sleep apnea uh, that caused your heart to beat at at a rate and a function that it was not supposed to. And guess what? Now you've passed this down. It's not necessarily even heart disease that's being passed down. It's sleep Hmm. apnea. We've just learned so much. Well, I've, uh, you know, people, I think sleep deprivation or, you know, only needing five hours or only needing four hours, whatever, people wear it like a badge of honor, you know, like, ah, I only, I go, you know, myself, I'm a night owl. I I am, always have been trying to curb that a little bit where Mm -hmm. I get to bed before midnight, but that, that was the normal, I know. And 6 a.m., that's kind of, that's, and people wear it. So you you don't look at it as problematic when people say that. You just kind of go, wow, I guess I need to, I need to work later or get up earlier because they're, I'm sleeping too much. No, we're finally getting to the point where that badge of honor is being removed. That whole stigma that sleep equals laziness has been disproven. You know, we have now seen the direct correlation uh, between proper sleep and productivity, proper sleep, increased uh, happy feelings and moods, uh, motivation, judgment, perception, creativity, ability to uh, be on time. All these things are literally tied to how well you slept the night before. So when you do have those outliers who say, oh, I only need five hours of sleep, I either assume one, you know, sure, (laughs) or two, there is uh, a form of sleep state misperception. This person is getting more sleep than they think they are, uh, or it could be something where they very much are a short sleeper, but statistically, those people are so rare. The average person does need seven and a half hours or eight to feel rested. And that's the key is whether or not you feel rested. So if you're not getting eight hours of sleep and you're like, oh, but that's fine because I can get by on less. Yeah. You could probably get by, but do you feel rested? No, you're probably one of those people who's tired all day. Well, it's funny because I try and to, I'm trying to make some efforts to do that. We and we have started to go to bed a little bit earlier. And today I woke up on, you know, feeling great before my alarm clock went off. And so there's definitely an immediate difference and you can feel it. Uh by the way, the whole sleep does not necessarily equal laziness. I've got a couple teenage sons that might push the boundaries of that threshold. That's different. Listen, <laughs> this is not their fault. I promise you. This is actually <laughs> another stigma attached to poor teenagers. So as we start to age, you know, when you're born, you require you know half of your day for sleeping. And as we start to get older, you know, toddlers need a bit less. And then we get to our teenage years and we're seeing that teenagers want to sleep longer, quote unquote. But what actually happens is there's a shift in their circadian rhythms that happen to accommodate the HGH, the human growth hormone that is allowing them to develop. So their bodies naturally want to go to sleep later around that 11 p.m. midnight time and wake up around that 9 a.m. time. Shut uh, up. Really? No, it's, there's these poor things. Again, we're, we're young. We didn't know all of these things even 
15 years ago. Uh, so now that we've seen that this is actually a hormonal shift uh, that happens in their brains, and they're still told all the time that they're lazy, they're not. They're just trying to sleep that's according to their cycle. Uh, if you do have a teenager that wants to go to bed, you can make them go to bed at nine, but that doesn't mean they'll be able to initiate sleep. Uh, and that's another yeah. reason why we've been working so hard nationally even to change school start times, uh, because they do not accommodate the teenager's sleep wellness cycle very well. And all of the schools that have changed have shown that the athletic and academic performance in their students has increased immeasurably when they're allowed to go in a little bit later. What would you shift it to if you could, ideally? Ideally, they shouldn't be starting before 9 a.m. Wow. I know. I think you'd get a lot of support for that. You know, it's funny because school in so many ways, we're just doing it the way it's always been done. That's the thing. We haven't always had the the numbers to show that, you know, we we didn't know. We made a mistake. It should be a little bit later for older children. Don't do things the way you always did just because that's the way you always did it. Find a new way. HoopsHR.com. HoopsHR.com. If you go to Hoops, check out their services that they, they offer. They teach you how to identify, contact, engage, and retain the best candidates you'll find. Now let's get back. Sarah Mo. Well, and you mentioned, I want to get back to this because the whole circadian rhythm thing I think is fascinating and you're, you know, you're going to have to explain it to a lay person. Uh, I want to get back to that, but with the pandemic, here's, here's kind of where it all ties together, especially for HR. All our, not all, but about 90% of our employees went from office based to remote. And uh, I even made this comment to you that now people have more access to sleep. They're saving time on commutes. They're probably not having to get up as early to maybe get dressed, get showered, everything else. They're probably going right to the coffee, sitting in a home office. But you said that people are getting, we're actually getting worse. Exactly. How is that? that? The access to sleep is no longer the issue. So we were tired because we didn't have enough time to sleep. Now we're mm-hmm. tired because the ability to initiate sleep is so much harder due to our constant levels of worry, stress, uncertainty, and anxiety. All of these things weigh on us in a way where our brains are not able to start the sleep when we need to start it. Uh, so uncertainty is fascinating. When it comes to our minds, human beings, mm-hmm. we just don't do well with uncertainty. We are people who try to get to problem-solving, solution-based you know, we go down that route, how can I fix this? So if something is happening where we don't have even a route to solve a problem, it secretes hormones that cause stress, panic, worry, and all of that hormonal secretion then is still present as we attempt to initiate sleep. If we're not removing all of this stress, anxiety, and worry before we try to fall asleep, uh, we basically have now all been living with this brain cluster, this mess uh, due to the uncertainty of the pandemic because everything's uncertain. So many great words there. And because I'm eight, I laughed. Secretion and cluster especially made me chuckle. But here's another word for you. Subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the blog at hrhardball.com. Give me a five-star rating. Read and share. Give me some feedback. I'd love to hear from you. All right, now let's get back to Sarah Moe. We don't know if we're going to get sick or a loved one will, if we're going to remain financially stable, get back to the offices. We have nothing but uncertainty and it is ruining our sleep. 
Yeah. Yeah. We, we react worse to uncertainty than we do to change. And we do to a lot of different things. People hate to not know what they don't know. And it just drives them crazy. You know, that's actually factual. You could be told something that was uh, an uncertain negative as opposed to a certain negative, And that would be better. What I mean by that is if I were to say, you're going to break your leg tomorrow. I mean, that's not fun. But if I said you might break your leg tomorrow, that's an uncertainty. That's even worse. You'd think I'd rather have the might because then it means I might not break my leg. That's not how we work. It's like, tell me I'm going to break my leg so I can prepare for it and then have an answer. I got to put it on my calendar. Exactly. Get the stuff going. (laughs) You know, my wife is one of those that she used to, I mean, end of the night, she would have this end of the night. I'm maybe getting drowsy, drifting. And then that's when her oh my God list starts coming up like this, that, and that. And I used to you know, tell her, joke with her that on her tombstone, it's going to say, uh, I didn't have enough time. You know, I, I, cause you're never going to catch up. You're never going to catch up. It's true. And I love that you say that you would think that again, with this now access to more time to sleep, that our workforce would be doing better and we're not. Um, so again, with the constant worry and concern, when we left our offices and we all started working remotely, all of us had a different kind of I guess, landscape of the pandemic. So if you have children, you had to deal with uh, the, are they going to be homeschooled, social distancing, uh, back in the classrooms, hybrid, all of this kind of flip-flop. Plus, we had our own work to do on top of worrying about our children and their schoolwork. If you didn't have kids, you also still have to worry about, um, again, the different reactions hormonally. Are you somebody who has uh, issues with mental well-being? Is this something that's been really hard for you and and juggling those things as well as there have been people who have tried to increase their fitness or, you know, even not get out of bed with depression or increase alcohol sales by 20, 250% in the United States. You know, there are a lot of different what? Yeah, really? Yeah. Last March factors that have played into all of our working from home. Uh, and yet we're all still kind of in that place of still not even feeling like we've gotten our footing. So on top of attempting to be productive employees, we are dealing with at a baseline, something that's really going to impact whether or not we can even be productive. And that's our poor sleep. And it's costing us. It's costing the workforce literally $411 billion every year. Well, now, cause you had sent me something that was, uh, I think a fatigue calculator. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. The National Safety Council recently released what's called the fatigue cost calculator. So you can plug in the demographics of your team, uh, however many employees you have, the state where you are working, if there's shift work involved and the kind of the industry, and that will calculate for you how much each employee is costing you just by showing up being tired. And this is broken down into healthcare costs, lack of productivity, absenteeism. They show you statistically how many of your uh, employees probably have these X number of sleep disorders and how this is financially breaking down to impact your corporation. So it's not even necessarily just about caring for your team's well-being, which we all should, but it's also about recognizing there's probably a giant uh, missing chunk in your bottom line based on all of your employees fatigue. Well, And, you know, so I'm thinking of this, I'm, you know, chief HR officer, and I go to my boss, the CEO, and I say, hey, you know, we need to get our people more sleep. Now, you're going to have some different varying reactions. How do you get CEOs to look at this as, no, we're not asking you to have our people take naps every day, which would actually be awesome. But (laughs) we're we're not asking our people to get less productive. This is a way to get get them more productive. Is that kind of the pitch? How do you do that? 
Well, you know, I don't necessarily look at it as pitching because I work with teams or companies that have already established employee wellness programs. So Mm -hmm. if you have an employee wellness program, you're already winning. You already understand that the health of your employee is going to lead to the health of your company. Uh, But that it is a missing piece. Just like when we talk about health and wellness, you think about working out and and how you eat. But when this is brought to an employer saying this is a, a missing piece of the wellness of your teams, there's usually a pretty easily accepted aha moment because this person is also suffering from fatigue since most Mm -hmm. of us are. And this is something that's being talked about now. People are now no longer wearing that badge. People are now saying, Oh, I'm so tired. And this is uh, not gossip. This is not, you know, well, water, well kind of talk. This is something that's impacting teammates. And if you are somebody who is uh, in control of that, that's definitely something you want to address, not even just for the financial component, but I mean, think about it. When you have those mornings where you feel rested, like you said, mm-hmm. and you woke up and you're like, ah, oh, I feel so great. We all want that. We want that for ourselves and for the people that we work with. It just leads to better workplaces. So right now, just in everyday life, what do you think are what are the biggest mistakes we're making at night as we prepare to go to sleep? So I love that you say that. Most of our mistakes are made during the day. Really? <laughs> yes. Once we wake up, that's going to determine how well we sleep at night. Uh, first thing is, if you are in a state that is sunny right now, lucky mm-hmm. you, we should all be getting outside first thing in the morning, even for 15 minutes. Hmm. Getting any kind of sun exposure early in the morning starts that kickoff of melatonin production. And I'm sure you've heard of melatonin. It's been marketed as that kind of sleep. It's the uh, sleep pill. Yeah. Now. It's it's not. It was not created in our systems to initiate sleep. We create melatonin to regulate our circadian rhythms, which is when we want to sleep. So we get a big boost of melatonin at different times throughout the day, uh, a major one being in the morning, especially with exposure to sunlight. So that's a great tip. Also, cherries are one of the only known nor- sources of uh, kind of melatonin that's natural instead of the pill that you get from Target. That's not yeah. a natural source of melatonin. So how did they market this so well that I've been drawn into this and sucked into this for so long? Because it is naturally produced in our bodies. So if I were to say, hey, if you take this um, tryptomyophan, you'd say, okay, well, that sounds like a drug. Yeah. When we say melatonin, it's something you create in your bodies. So it's all natural. You know, it's if I were to tell you that some other natural hormone that we create was now purchasable at GNC, it would feel safer than the ones with the multiple syllables. But that's not the I mean, it's still again, they're all created in labs, not your body. So it is technically a drug. <laughs> so you, you wake up in the morning. And if you're like you said, it, it, luckily, in Texas, the days will start getting measurably longer. And then especially in the summer, I mean, it's light from yes. six in the morning to night at night. Um, start get there. Outside. Start with that early sun exposure. From there, we definitely want to have some movement incorporated into our day. So okay. I'm not saying you have to become a workout freak, but a good 15, 20 minutes of constant movement every day mm-hmm. is really helpful in consolidating our sleep. So I'm sure you've heard, don't work out right before bed because that will increase your endorphins and you won't be able to fall asleep. And there is truth to that. But if that's the only time that you have to incorporate movement into your day, still do it because that will make the type of sleep you get when you're able to fall asleep that much better. Uh, so we want to incorporate movement into every day. Also, exposure to blue light. Oh, this is our number one issue. Yep, and now, not only is it you know, our cell phones, but it's all day, every day. You know, like right now, we're on our laptops. We have got our televisions. Our kids are learning on iPads all day, every day. We've got this blue light. So if you are able to invest a bit, 
hop online and find some of those blue light blocking glasses and wear those while you're doing, yeah, you're doing anything on any kind of device. But even more impactful is going to be to remove that electronic device use before bedtime. Now, the National Sleep Foundation recommends two hours before bedtime, shut down all your devices. <laughs> I'm a little more realistic than that. I right. say about an hour because there's nothing we need to do in the last hour of bedtime that's going to be related to work. If you are working up until the second you fall asleep, we need to be having a talk with your boss. You should be able to check that last email sometime after supper and then continue to have a relaxing evening, uh, create your own bedtime routine. Bedtime routines aren't just for kids. Grownups need them too. Just mm-hmm. take that hour before bedtime, start to relax, start to turn down lights, start to read a book with pages yeah, and really allow <laughs> your body the ability to relax enough to initiate those sleep hormones. Yeah, because the, the worst sleep habit, listening to those, or the worst day habit I have probably is that, I mean, you're on a computer all day. I've got a device um, you know, that's with me all the time. And... We, th- you know, you work all day and, and we really do, but we, we make a point of, okay, we're, we're going to stop working now. Uh, my wife and I both say, okay, let's stop. But then we'll get on our devices for fun. Exactly. <laughs> and that's so acceptable because our devices have brought us joy through this pandemic. Let's be right. honest. I'm on level, I think, 1400 of Candy Crush. And that's fun for me. It's relaxing. <laughs> uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy being removed from the stress of the reality of the world today. Uh, so it's understandable that we do bring it into our lives for the positive aspect at night. Uh, but the problem is that it's doing, it is doing harm. So if there are other things that we can now find uh, to bring us that joy instead of crushing that candy, even if it's something like watching a movie on a TV, that's going to be better than doing something on your cell phone because Hmm. the proximity to our retina makes a huge difference as far as blue light exposure goes. So, you know, watch a program with your TV that's on the wall kind of further away. That's going to even be better for your sleep. Uh, But the bottom line is once we start to realize really how bad it is, it's easy to shut off. I know it sounds ridiculous right now. Like, okay, Sarah, I'm going to turn off my phone for an hour before bed. But I've, this is something I've had my patients and my clients tell me for years. I haven't slept through the night in five years and Sarah took my phone away. And two nights later, the best night of sleep I've ever had. We really have no idea how impactful it is. So I would say just try it for a few nights. I know and see how much better you feel when you wake up and it'll be easy to continue doing it. Well, and I love to read, so I'm going to have to take it off the device and, and take just it off what the device. pages. Yeah. Yes, we're going back to the future. Get a book, and it, even the smell and the feel of it in your fingers is something that becomes a trained behavior. When you do it before bedtime, your body will learn, oh, this means bedtime. They're wonderful. So as opposed to watching YouTube videos, you know, eight minutes in length that just uh, I'm either laughing at or making me angry, I should probably just read a book. Just read a book, a handheld book, and I promise you in a few days, things are going to start to feel really different. And that's the other cool thing is we've just all adapted to fatigue. We've Mm -hmm. gotten used to waking up, wanting to go back to a bed. Our alarms go off and it's like, oh, here we go again. And then you go and you feed the kids and you go to work. And it's just become this absolute trudgery. It's time to make the donuts. Remember, it's time to make the donuts. The commercial. Yes, we just we've gotten so used to it. So it's fun. It's been fun for me, even just to see these changes in these workforces now, where it's allowed. It is allowed to to be caring more for yourself and for your rest and your well being. You know, this is now where we're at. We have to figure out ways to keep healthy. We're in the middle of a pandemic, and how great would it be to be? Uh, just completely forgiven for doing all the things that we should be doing, like napping. 
Right. God, I love a good nap. If, if only, if only there was a, now it's funny because I used to be, it was one of the, like the family joke is I could sit down in a chair. I can nod off anywhere. And it was like, wow, you just must have no problem getting to sleep. And it's like, no, I just I'm looking for any opportunity. I guess my body is because I just wasn't sleeping good at night. It's so true. Uh, it's fatigue, terrible. It is, but it's a sign, you know, just like pain fatigue is a sign that something's wrong with your sleep. You know, if you think about if you get an injury, that pain is your sign for something's wrong. Our fatigue is saying something is wrong. You need to either sleep more or be getting a better, different kind of sleep. You're not getting the right quality of sleep. So we should be listening to our bodies when it comes to fatigue. We're just behind here in America. There are napping laws in Japan. What? I know. (laughs) That's so next level. Napping laws. I know. But that's the sad thing is that that research, that science has been accepted. And the way that I spoke of a circadian rhythm shift that happens in teenagers that happens in most adults every day from 1 to 3 p.m. Our bodies shift and we are meant to rest at that time. This is innate. This is instinctual. This goes all the way back to caveman times. Right. That was when the sun was at its most highest. So predators were at their most active. It was in your best interest to get your butt in the cave and take right. a little rest. And we still feel that today every day. Most of us think it's because we had too big of a lunch, but that's not the case. Our bodies are telling us power down. So if we were able to take that 20 minutes to just rest, every part of our day after that would be better. And for the workforce, this would be huge. People don't realize how their employees shut down after that three o'clock mark. That's it. You know, we mm. went through that shift. We're tired. We didn't nap. We instead hopped on BuzzFeed and took a quiz to see what kind of cheese we are. None of this is productive. This is all just <laughs> attempting to be remaining engaged. But if we were allowed instead to rest, to take that little power down for 20 to 30 minutes, we'd be able to get so much more work done until it was time to stop. And uh, Americans are worse than others, aren't we're they? We're the worst, period. Yeah. End of sentence. We are the worst. Okay. <laughs> We're absolutely the worst. Uh, other nations have completely, I mean, think about, you know, uh, the siestas over in Spain, mm-hmm. where the entire towns will shut down in that time. Um, you know, there are no businesses open in Italy in that time, and then they will reopen at night. They are paying attention to their circadian rhythms, and we do not. We force ourselves to power through, uh, therefore lacking any kind of powerful productivity for the remaining part of the day. And then the, we have the guilt associated with it, too. It's it's a, a very unnecessary cycle. Start implementing naps into the workforce. Uh, I'm hoping once we return into our workspaces after this pandemic, this will be more common. But Google had started doing it uh, right prior to the shutdown. They had oh. napping pods implemented into their entire campus. If you feel fatigued, sit down and rest so that you can wake up and continue to be creative for us. Wow. Well, and I, and I know uh, in school, so between one and three, kids are still in school. That's got to be a pretty tough time for them, too. Is that around the same time that they need to have a little nap, too? Yep. It gets worse as we get older, but we all need naps. Did you remember when they got taken away? Well, it's (laughs) funny because our kids hated being told to take naps. Hated. Look at us now. I know. We do. I know. (laughs) I know. We just screwed up the whole thing. We did. Um, Why do you think... um, I mean, this is an opinion, I'm sure, but why do you think Americans are the worst? Well, I think that there's a there's always been a a push as far as being pioneers. Mm-hmm. We have the reputation historically of being uh, inventors and developers and on the forefront of everything. And with that, uh, there have been the outliers that have pushed the bounds of the four and five hours 
of sleep to come up with these amazing creations that are very uh, impactful for society. Uh, so based on the success of those pioneers, we had developed uh, a way for the rest of America to work. Uh, and unfortunately, that just is not physiologically even sound uh, because most of us are not built to operate that way. So the few successful people that did, it kind of stuck. And we're all now just kind of stuck with it. That uh, mentality of if you are able to uh, produce at all hours, you should be producing something. Uh, but again, what we're producing isn't going to be good if we're not well rested. Now, do people's individual circadian rhythm vary? Absolutely. So that's why we have night owls like you and I or right. morning larks. Some people right. love to wake up very early. Uh, but for the vast majority of us, we adapt to our current nine to five society, meaning uh, once we start working in the workforce, if that is our, our schedule, we are able to kind of get by on that 10 p.m. bedtime, 6 a.m. Uh, wake time. But that doesn't mean it feels good. And again, we're all so different. We are uh, very much cellularly structured in a very different way. So if we get to a point where bedtime rolls around and we start to feel fatigued, most of us ignore that for the first run because we think we have to go to bed at a certain time. So yes. you're probably going to start to feel more tired uh, either right before supper, right after supper. And then there's going to be a peak uh, where you're going to perk back up and say, oh, nope, I'm going to make it till bedtime, which is 10 o'clock. And then by 10, you're not tired anymore because you missed it. <laughs> so that happens you, to me all the time. I know you should pay attention to that first dip that first time, even if it's 830 and you're like, oh, man, I could go to bed right now, but I'm not going to just do it anyway one night and see what happens. I'm a, I guess I'm afraid of waking up at three in the morning and going, okay, what do I do now for like the next three and a half, four hours? But it wouldn't happen for a while. You're already yeah. so sleep deprived. You're carrying around some sleep debt. Your body's going to get a little bit extra, a little bit more and start to build back into that healthy range. And then at that point, you're going to stop feeling that fatigue at 830 and be able to kind of shift to that 10 p.m., 6 a.m. So how do you, Sleep Health Specialist, right, is the name of the organization. How do you tie this into wellness programs? It's just like any other program we're offering right now. We're all web-based. We're only doing webinars. So when you think about, you know, attempting to offer things that your employees would utilize to feel better. There are yoga classes that you pull up your Zoom and you follow along. Uh, there are nutritionists that will log in and teach you great things and you put your question in the chat box. We do the same thing. Sleep yeah. webinars where we talk all things sleep. Uh, we, I like to call it Sleep 101, cover just kind of the basics. There are four different stages of sleep. Here's what happens in each one. Uh, here are some negative influencers, things that you're doing that might be negatively impacting your sleep. Here are some things you should be doing. We also go over signs and symptoms of sleep disorders because statistically a third of the population of the workforce is suffering from a classifiable sleep disorder. All very fun, interesting facts about sleep that are going to get most people on track to feeling so much more rested. Uh, so, you know, for somebody who's uh, in HR looking to add something like this, how would we how would we go about how would we go about even inquiring about it? Where do we find the programs? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got obviously, I think, great programs through sleep health specialists. Uh, but even just starting with that fatigue cost calculator that we were talking about earlier with the National Safety Council, uh, that's a, a great tool to see kind of what's going on in your workforce and, and even why you should be considering sleep education. You also break down financially how much money you would save just by implementing any kind of sleep class to your team, because there's going to be a percentage of people 
who don't listen. And, and you know, that's, that's to be said for everything. You know, if, if you brought a yoga instructor and there are some people who are going to say, I'm not going to do that yoga because I don't want to. Right. <laughs> so statistically, you know, we can't say, oh, educating your workforce is going to fix everything, but it's going to fix most of it because most of your team is sleepy. Uh, so just look at different uh, sleep educations that are available within your community, although it doesn't have to be within the community anymore. Now that we're all web-based, uh, you can find them all over. And uh, sadly, there aren't as many as I'd like, but I'm hoping to change that uh, because it is so important. How young is the company, the Sleep Health Specialist? How, what's the uh, tenure right now? Uh, we were incorporated in April of 2015, so almost six years. Almost six years. Okay. Almost six years. And, you know, in the limited knowledge I have about the subject. I know um, brain. our brains love patterns. They just love patterns. They, they want to pick it up. And so when we are most of it, well, we have a pattern. We've established our own pattern, whether we wanted to or not. I have one too. It doesn't make it a good pattern. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's equivalent to trying to break bad habits. Same type of thing. Um, how long do you think, if, if you're somebody and you're trying to give them advice on how to better their sleep schedule and their patterns, how long do you think it takes to become a recovering, you know, non-sleeper or whatever? That's such a great question. So when we think about habits, you know, they usually take about 28 days to form. That's why rehab is 28 days. With sleep habits, what we've seen for years is that things are able to start correcting in about a week. And that's sadly because most of us are so sleep deprived that our bodies are just literally craving these changes. Once yeah. you start to make little changes, your body is going to say, yep, thank you. That is what we needed. Let's start kicking off these hormones at this time. Uh, let's get this cellular structure back in action. We are very adaptable as humans. And when it comes to our sleep deprivation, our bodies are sick of it. So it doesn't really take that long. If we are finding that you are changing your habits, you're doing the things that you're supposed to do, uh, everything is, is going how it's supposed to for a week or so, and you're still incredibly fatigued, you probably have a sleep disorder. That's all there is to it. We are able to make these changes. Our bodies are able to adapt quickly. And if it's not happening, there's something underlying that is still wrong that needs to be corrected. And that's not a problem now either. When we think about sleep disorders, it's always the people <laughs> with the sleep disorders that don't think they have them. But it's so incredibly common. And again, there are these stigmas attached. When we think of sleep disorders, you think of you know, sleep apnea and, you know, you've got to be an old fat grandpa to have it. That's not true right. at all. Absolutely. Anybody can have obstructive sleep apnea and it's so incredibly common. So getting the, your head around the idea that that's actually something that might be wrong is really important. And we have sleep labs now doing HSTs or home sleep tests. Yeah. I did to, one of those. I did one yeah, of those. Yeah, you don't have to go into a medical facility in the middle of a pandemic. They'll just ship it to your door and you can ship it back and lots of great programs for that as well. Yeah, that was because I remember early on when I did this, this was years and years ago. You do, you have to go to the facility and all that. Yeah. And, and I just never felt like I really gave them a, I, I, I was giving them a stage sleep. I don't know if mm -hmm. I was giving them a real sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a sleepwalker too. I do that occasionally. I've woken up, uh, you know, we have like ring cameras and stuff. And we have film of me walking out in the front yard, laying down. Oh my goodness. Sleep out of the lawn furniture out by the pool. Uh, earlier, we'll see, it was last week. I woke up on the couch wearing a trench coat that I pulled out of the top of the closet. I have no idea why. I mean, oh just gosh. crazy stuff. Yeah. So what we have seen is that uh, parasomnia is like that. Somnambulism, which is sleepwalking, uh, sleep aneurysis, which is bedwetting, bruxism, which is teeth grinding, uh, night terrors. A lot of these parasomnias, 
they start when you're a child and then start to dissipate as you age, but then will redevelop as adults in times of stress. So hmm. if you are somebody who is all of a sudden doing some strange things, you may need to take a look at your day job. <laughs> but it is uh, it is something outside of the fact that your sleepwalking is dangerous because you've yeah. left your home and couldn't walk right. into the middle of the street. It is good to know that those types of sleep disorders, those parasomnias, they don't cause any physical harm. You're not physiologically being harmed or, or, or sick in any way if you do have a parasomnia. We just have to make sure that you're not uh, harming yourself or your bed partner. So am I really asleep when I'm doing when I'm doing those things? You really are, aren't you? Is it you dangerous are, yes. to approach a sleepwalker or is that a myth? That's a myth. Have you seen Step Brothers? Oh my God, it's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny, but it is a myth. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, going to cause a, a, a reaction being pulled out of that stage of sleep, but it is something that, depending on the actual person, could be a fearful situation. So if you have a patient who might be suffering from PTSD or something like that, obviously we want to be more aware of that kind of scenario. Uh, but in general, if somebody is walking around the house, uh, heading out the front door, you're going to want to stop them. Yeah, that seems like a good idea. Uh, yeah, our my youngest son, we're we're already seen this for years and years. He's he definitely has some of the same uh, yes. sleep traits of his old man, and he's got his own language, you know, that he'll talk. It's it's pretty. See, it's so entertaining for the rest of the family. I'd hate for all of it to go away, but because everybody know, loves our stories. <laughs> Isn't that the thing? We do find that sleep issues are familial. We can't call them genetic. They're not passed down through your genes. But if you have them, you're likely to pass something down onto your children. And they can be very, very interesting and amusing. Uh, I remember when Ambien was developed, you know, this is yeah. part of the reason that people are so concerned about getting addicted to sleep aids. Because we used to have Ambien and people would walk around the house in the middle of the night eating frozen pizzas. And <laughs> that just is kind of something that sticks with you. But now we are quite a bit more developed, uh, advanced medically. So medicinally, if sleep aids are something you're considering, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily be as worried about it. I would say if you are thinking about it, make sure you don't have a sleep disorder first. Get a sleep study, make sure there's nothing happening there. Uh, and if you do still have good habits but aren't able to initiate sleep, talk to your doctor about getting a sleep aid because the physical ramifications of sleep deprivation are so much more severe than that of taking something that's available now. Wow. Yeah, I was going to ask you, are, are there, because I know I've, I've always been scared of Ambien. I didn't, I've never wanted to do that, but it's you know, melatonin, I've done melatonin. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like um, that, well, I do have a sleep disorder though. So you're saying if you do have a sleep disorder, probably taking a med is not necessarily your first fix. Correct. It's not going to, it will not solve the problem. And the physiological damage of a sleep disorder not being treated is going to be pretty severe. So, you know, for example, in your case, sleep apnea, if it's not being treated, it's going to be causing damage to your other systems. Sleep apnea is incredibly dangerous. I mm -hmm. always focus on this with my clients because uh, it's not just something that's going to make you tired. It's something that's going to make you sick. So when mm -hmm. we stop breathing at night, not only not are taking in that oxygen, that's a problem. Obviously, when you think about holding your breath all day, every day, how do you react to that physically? Yeah. You react in a horrible way. Your body's not meant to be that way. But when it happens at night, we don't notice because we're sleeping. So we need to prevent that from happening. Uh, the association with sleep apnea and diabetes, uh, stroke, um, obstructive OC, all, all these issues that you know you can find. Uh, sorry, I was going to get all the anagram, all of them. I didn't mean to scare you, but. <laughs> a lot of times that is the underlying uh, real problem and it just needs to be corrected and it will solve everything else. And, you know, and everybody like, including me now, we're all, everybody's wearing their Fitbits and stuff and they have a little sleep tracker. Oh, you got yours. 
Um, you think that's giving you good data? Is that providing decent data? Good data, uh, but we do like to focus on the fact that while we do say it does provide great information, it's not necessarily accurate. That being said, I call it a motion tracker. It tracks my motion throughout the night. We can't tell what stage of sleep you're in unless we have electrodes on your brain and we're reading your brain waves. So okay. you pull up your Fitbit in the morning yeah. and it says, oh, no, you only got 10% REM sleep. Ignore that. It's probably A, not true, and B, not that big of a deal. If you okay. have a night where you don't have as much deep sleep or REM sleep that you think you should have, our bodies have amazing self-correcting adaptive abilities. So you're going to be getting what you need as long as, uh, you know, again, there's no severe untreated sleep disorder. Uh, if you go a night getting less REM than you think you need, your body is going to be able to try and figure out how to get a little bit longer the next night. So it picks up motion, but it also picks up your motion, your bed partner's motion, your pet's motion. <laughs> All of these oh, really? can be picked up on your Fitbit. So um, it's, again, great because it brings awareness to mm-hmm. the, the restless factor, but you know, full disclosure, I'm a complete nerd. When I first got my Fitbit, I used to stay up all night doing sleep studies. So I thought I'm going to stay up all night and see what it says. So I laid in my bed watching movies on my laptop without moving my arm that had the Fitbit. And then in the morning, I read my report, and it said I got great sleep. Oh, and the next night, yeah, I just wore it regularly, and I'm you you're, know tossing. You're turn pulling back the curtain on everything. What is going I, on? That's what I'm here for. I'm here to educate. That's well, that's funny because I was going to ask you. You know, it scores because it'll score your sleep, like your sleep because you got this many hours, and that you got a ninety. It's it's encouraging and it encourages you to get more sleep. And that's why it's really great and helpful uh, bringing to the front of your mind that sleep is a part of your health. Uh, You know, my latest uh, attempt at solving the sleep apnea is, uh, you know, the mouthpiece. And this one is the kind that expands your palate. It's over time. It's, you know what, it's very slow process. And if you wear it 16 hours a day, uh, which is what they recommend, which is never going to happen in my case. I'm going to wear it maybe eight if I get sleep that much. It's just a long process, but you can tell it, it is moving a little and they yeah. measure your oxygen intake and all that. Yeah, so yeah, That's good. Yes, there are a lot of different interventions now. And when we used to think about sleep apnea, you had two options. One, the Darth Vader mask of sleep yeah. dun, 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 or surgery. Now, the surgical option back in the day was a uvula palatal pharyngeoplasty or a U-triple-P. This is a surgery that we call a roto-rooter where they'd go in and cut out all the tissue in the back of your throat. This was one of the most painful, expensive surgeries, and they did a ton of it uh. in the early 2000s. The problem is they found that after they did that, the tissue was replaced with scar tissue. So people were still having their airways closed off, only now it was with scar tissue, so the CPAP couldn't blow it out of the way. Oh, wow. So CPAP has come so far since its in- invention. It used to be, you know, the size of a generator on your next to your bed. Now they're the size of Kleenex boxes and they just use room air, not even oxygenated air, just room air, uh, just to go through a little mask. It's There's no Darth Vader anymore. It's yeah. about the size of a, a two quarters that sits on your nose and, and can change your life. Now, do you use, do you have any kind of sleep device or sleep? I do not, but no. I don't have a sleep disorder outside of being slightly hypocritical after working overnights for so many years. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but I am fortunate in that when I do choose to sleep well, it does happen for me. How many hours of sleep do you get a night? On average seven. Uh, but I have also always been a bit of a short sleeper. And that's part of the reason I knew I was able to go into a medical field and work overnights. Yeah. My first job in high school was at Blockbuster Video. So I used to get some movies and 
stay up way later than I should have. But my father was also, uh, he worked the third shift. So he'd get up at midnight and I'd be watching my movies and he'd say, have good sleep when you finally fall asleep. <laughs> right. Yeah. We might have to tell some of the audience blockbuster is where you used to rent these things called movies. <laughs> Hopefully right. I didn't date myself too much, but uh, yeah, blockbuster RIP. Yeah. Right. We still, I don't know what the store is now, but the, the structure is still here in town. Just gone through like three, different reiterations. And I still remember when I was blockbuster, that was a big deal. Yeah. So you've given us some good, um, I think you've given some good practical advice too, that I can take um, with the reading and the, you know, maybe get off the device. Even if I want to watch a show on TV, that was interesting because I think that helps make it an easier transition. But how yeah, about some, a few more things about like, what do you, like what time should you, or not what time, but how long before sleep time should you stop doing things like eating or drinking or and I'm not talking about alcohol necessarily, but mm -hmm. we'll include that too. Great. But what, what, uh, what should you set off as like your governor's like, Hey, it's shut off time. Well, well, we should start with the bedtime routine. I like to circle back to that because again, if you are a parent out there, you know how important that is for your children, but we've lost that understanding that it's required for us as adults as well. I like to compare it to landing a plane. So when you think about a plane flying through the sky, when it's time to land, it doesn't just drop out of the sky and slam into the ground. It descends slowly. So most of us, we go through our day like an airplane. And when it's time to land, when it's time to go to bed, we slam into our beds and think we're going to initiate sleep. We really should start our bedtime routine thinking about landing our plane. Bedtime happens every night. This should not be a surprise anymore. Right. Get that hour before bedtime and just know this is time to shut down. You've had plenty of time throughout your day. Also, I like to say, think about incorporating into your bedtime routine um, the honor and privilege that it is to have one. Think hmm. about if you had three jobs, uh, you were stealing sleep on the bus ride between uh, whenever you could, you had children or uh, parents to care for. Think of what a privilege it is that we get to go to bed and attempt in a safe, warm place to initiate sleep. This is something that we should care for more. It is really an honor. So get that bedtime routine down, feel that gratitude for having that sleep, just no more cell phones before bed. And the hardest right. part about this is we all use our cell phones as our alarm clocks too. So it's uh -huh. kind of like, all right, well, now I need to set my alarm. And then you set it. And what do we do? We do one last quick email check, set it down. And then we attempt to fall asleep. And then eventually you do fall asleep. But then eventually you wake up. And the first thing you do is look at your clock. You grab that phone and you stick it in your face again at two o'clock in the morning. And mm -hmm. you start doing what I call panic math. Oh, it's two o'clock right now. If I fall asleep, three o'clock, four o'clock, five. And then you're doing math in the middle of the night, reactivating your neurological system, making it that much harder to fall asleep. So the cell phones just need to be removed, set the alarm, and then set it on your nightstand far away so you can't grab it in the middle of the night. Uh, lastly, when we think about our bedtime routine, Yes, you can have a nightcap. Alcohol, I know you've heard, oh, it's the bad guy for your sleep. And it is. But alcohol is also a depressant. It's a sedative. If you have a nightcap, it is going to make you feel kind of sleepy. The problem does kind of come when we start to get into more excessive alcohol use. That two, three, four range, that's when we start to uh, kind of take it in. And it doesn't allow our brains to achieve restful or restorative stages of sleep. Again, there are a few different stages. They all do something different. One makes you feel rested. Another restores your cells. Those are the two that get suppressed by alcohol consumption. So if you do have uh, multiple cocktails, try and have it closer to supper time. Try to have it with some more water to keep you hydrated so it's not going to be so impactful on the quality of your sleep. Uh, and then last but not least, right before bed, this is something super easy that everybody can do that will be helpful. 
as we were talking about stress earlier, mm-hmm. it does really manifest in our bodies. And if we don't get it out one way or another, it's going to come out in our sleep. So if you aren't talking to a therapist or taking a workout class or doing something that allows you to release some of that stress, you're going to have frequent random awakenings throughout the night. So one thing that we can do is right before bedtime, get a piece of paper and a pen, set it next to your nightstand. And right before you fall asleep, write out some things that you're stressed out about, some things that you're worried about, and kind of give it that opportunity, give it that time, that presence to pay attention to it. You might even in five minutes work out a solution for something that you've been worried about. You might realize hey, I can't do anything about this. It's out of my control, so I'm no longer worried about it. You know what a lot of people worry about? They worry about filling those wrecks. See what I got? See what I did there? Immediate tie-in. Go to hoopshr.com. Let them show you how to do it. Take it out of your hands for a while. Let them sift through a world of candidates and provide you the top ones that fit your culture, fit your company, fit your need. Go to hoopshr.com. Now let's get back, finish it up with Sarah Moe. A lot of these things can work themselves out really quickly. Uh, and then once you hit that pillow, it's a little easier to initiate and, re- and really kind of stay asleep. Final question, because this is something I've, I've learned a little bit about just last week, and I've been a sucker for it for years, but white noise, people using white noise, good, bad, indifferent. Good. All time, anything that you do that's comforting at all times is good. So if it's comforting to you and it's not causing disruptions in your sleep, it's not. It means white noise. The same with a fan. I live in Minnesota. Yeah. I sleep with a fan every night. Sometimes I crack a window. These are all comforting things for me. Uh, in no way will they be damaging to your sleep. Same with music. If you like to listen to different types of music, that's fine. Just don't have it be the last thing you do on your cell phone before you go to sleep. Um, And even the not necessarily white noise, but the different noise machines with the, you know, I don't know, the waves or the rainforests, all those things can be really helpful. Yeah. There's a hundred different apps. I think I got the calm app years ago and I'll still pull that out occasionally. And now this, this, it's so important. And I think, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's a, as you get older, you get wiser thing. You just don't give it. It's, it's due shrift. You're like, well, I can work harder and I can do a lot of other things, but I'm not going to like set it in my day to get to bed earlier. Like you said, it is a privilege and there, there's a lot that we take for granted. That should not be one of them that we get the chance to do that. I completely agree. And uh, if you've heard of Ariana Huffington's book, the sleep revolution, she, Ariana Huffington of the Huffington post, Uh (laughs) you know, she's a absolute, powerhouse. But she ended up having an accident out of pure exhaustion. She was so exhausted one day, she literally fell over and broke her face open and ended up in the hospital where she sat there and realized, okay, well, I might have messed up (laughs) by leading this lifestyle and not paying attention to sleep. And it completely changed her life. Once she started paying attention to sleep, she wrote this book uh, and it's changed lives uh, throughout the country just saying, hey, this is something you need to pay attention to or you might pay for it physically. Uh, So I never mean to sound so dramatic where sleep should be the end all be all. I don't think that's the case. I don't want that for myself. You know, I have my nights where I watch Game of Thrones reruns until 2 a.m. with a bottle of wine. And that's just fine because that's fun, too. And we're all kind of getting through this pandemic however we can. Just know that if you do take even baby steps towards improving your sleep, it's going to kind of take off on its own. We're going to start to feel better. Our bodies are going to change. And it's going to be more and more fun to feel more and more rested because then the rest of our day is going to be so much better. 
That's so funny. I, I mean, I have very vivid memories. My wife and I sitting in bed looking at each other at midnight going, one more. And doing yes. the chip. One more, one more, <laughs> one more. Uh, and you know you're going to feel like crap, you know. But exactly. It, but you, know. you can take a nap the next day or go to right. bed a little earlier. Don't take those moments of joy from yourself. Just know that they're important. But it's also important to self, self-correct the next day. So we owe it to ourselves to do this. We, uh, for those of us in human resources, we owe it to our companies and to our employees to make it uh, part of our wellness program. And I think if nothing else as well, we all know HR is the glue. HR is the glue of every company. And when you are able to be slightly more rested, just think of how much, uh, how, how much more you can show up for the teammates who count on you. So we'll, we'll set up an HR nap room. Just we'll be the, yeah, we'll be the beta test for that. It's your own Slack going. <laughs> right? Now, I really appreciate you spending time with me. I think um, this is something that's not in, I don't know, in my peers, the people in my little circle, I don't know anybody that has sleep tied into their wellness program. So the opportunity is just huge. And I think a lot of it's just awareness. It's awareness. It is. Uh, and again, it's nobody's fault. We never received any of this education when we were young. When we were young, we got gym classes that focused on dodgeball and moving your body. You got right. nutrition. You learned about the food pyramid. These things were hammered into us. And did you ever get a sleeve class? No. no. Third of our lives that we know nothing about. And it's so important. Man, you're tripping me out. A third of our lives we know Sorry. nothing about. No, it's great. That's great. It, uh, it's, a, it's a good third. <laughs> So for anybody who wants to find out more, uh, can you tell us your website again? Yeah. Yep. It's my company is Sleep Health Specialists and the website is sleephs.com. Sleephs.com. Yep, and I know you've just... got some videos and you've got some different programs on there and I've, yep. yeah, it's good Lots stuff. Lots of education. I just uh, couldn't have a cooler job. There's nothing like having somebody call you and say, oh man, I got a sleep study and you were right. I have severe sleep apnea and my life has changed. It's just, people don't know. It's a, it's a game changer. Well, it is a good night of sleep. There's a feeling you just can't manufacture otherwise. So exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. And I I know that, uh, we were supposed to talk, I think we were supposed to talk last week and then my whole state froze up. So we weren't able to do it, but thanks for, uh, thanks for your note. By the way, during the time, check on us down here because we don't know what we're doing. You Minnesotans, yeah, you guys live with this. How? I have no idea. (laughs) But we do. Yeah, I was going to say, we do live in 105 degree summers. So we're kind of idiots that way. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for having me. It was so fun to chat. Oh, anytime. I'd love to have you back. And best of luck to you and your company. And um, hope we get the chance to talk again soon. Ditto. Good luck, everyone. (laughs) Bye bye, Sarah. Bye. For human resources professionals who walk the fine line between providing strategic support and grabbing a baseball bat, welcome to HR Hardball, hosted by John Reeves Whitaker. This is your leadership moment, folks. Don't screw it up.